The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, I'm going to kick it off today by talking about Asalaha Puja, because um, this is essentially what we're what we're going to be celebrating today. Um, also celebrating the start of the rains. This will be happening, uh, uh, the Asalaha, the Asalaha, the actual Salaha Puja is on the Wednesday and the entry to the rains is on the Thursday. And so I uh, thought it was important to actually to let people know exactly what Asalaha Puja is. Because I've actually been uh, very, very surprised over the last couple of weeks saying, oh, we're going to be doing a Salaha Puja on the day. And, there, and a lot, so many people going, like, what's, what's that? What's a Salaha Puja? And it, it was sort of quite shocking to me. It's like, oh, you don't know what a Salaha Puja is. It's nothing, nothing wrong in any way that you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. It's, you can't help that. So I thought I'd talk a little bit today about why we're actually celebrating a Salaha Puja, why it is such an important day on the Buddhist calendar, and why if you do have some kind of uh, faith in Buddhism, why this day is actually so vitally important. So what a Salaha Puja actually is, it's the day that the Buddha gave the first sermon. This is the first time he taught the Dhamma. And so Asalaha Puja, it's, it's called Asalaha because of, uh, Asala, Asala is the month of July. Uh, so it's the full moon in the month of July. And this was said to be the time that the Buddha gave his, his first teaching. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we call it Dhamma Day as well. So you might be very familiar with Visaka Puja. This is a day that we celebrate the Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and his passing away. So, and we call that Buddha Day most of the time. And so what today is actually is the Dhamma Day. This is the day that the Dhamma actually came into the world. And so just as a, as a bit of preamble of, of what exactly happened and why that's so important, there's, there's the day that the Dhamma came into the world, this is a very special thing, but there's also something else that I'll tell you about soon of why that actually is uh, so important. But then also there's something else of why that's important as well. This day is actually important as well. And it's actually got to do with the Sangha as well. So again, just as a bit of a preamble about what what happened, you know, we 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 most of us know the story of of the Buddha uh, becoming enlightened in Bodhgaya, and after he became enlightened, he the thought actually arose in his mind that the Dhamma is so deep and profound, and Nibbana is something it's so beyond words to actually be able to describe. I'm not going to be able to teach this to anybody. This is so deep, so profound. I'm, it's going to be a waste of my time trying to teach. But then he was convinced to actually uh, to to actually teach the Dhamma, convinced by the 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 Brahma God, one of the highest gods in the in uh, in the in the Brahma realms. And he was convinced to teach because he realized that there were people in the world with uh, what the Buddha said was they had little dust in their eyes, which meant that. They are. They do have the capacity and they do have the ability to understand the Dhamma as well. 
So the Buddha realized that other people could achieve and understand the Dhamma and to realize the Dhamma as well. So after the Buddha became enlightened, it was, you know, a period of, of you know, almost two months that he actually spent in the bliss of liberation. He didn't do any teachings. He just uh, reflected on what it was that he had achieved and was uh, essentially spending a few weeks in absolute happiness and absolute bliss because this is the greatest thing that could ever have happened to him. And then he realized, well, I need to start actually teaching this because now I know that I can teach it. There are people that will be able to receive it. And he thought, well, who could actually understand the Dhamma? And he, he thought of his former teachers, uh, but he realized that they had passed away. But then he thought to the, what we call the five ascetics, the Panchawaki. These are the, these are the four, five ascetics that were looking after the Buddha. Uh, when he was, before he became the Buddha, he was practicing austerities. They were attending to him. They were looking after him. But they actually abandoned him. They said, well, we don't want to hang around you anymore. Once the Buddha actually started to eat and to more take the middle way, they had abandoned him. So he realized that the, the Panchawaki could realize the Dhamma and this is something he could teach to them. So he made his way from Bolgaya to uh, Bernardes. It's a it's a it's a decent. It's, if if anybody's ever actually been there, it's a it's a fair way to walk, um, and it's it's actually amazing that he, he he did say a few things to people on the way, but you wouldn't really consider them like actual teachings. But it's amazing that he never didn't teach anybody on the way. He realized that there was something special about teaching the five aesthetics that he knew that they could actually realize the Dhamma and realize what he was talking about. So he made his way to the what's called the Deer Park in Bernardes. And you know, the the five ascetics, again, if you remember, they they decided to abandon him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They saw the Buddha coming and they amongst themselves they they made a pact of like well we're gonna we're not gonna talk to him we're gonna basically like stonewall the buddha they were not going to talk to him they didn't want to receive him because they thought he'd actually given up on this and they made that little pact but as the buddha approached them they started to all drop their guard and go well okay well He's, there's something about him, something looks different about him. And so they decided to receive him and they were civil and they were, they were polite and they received him and gave him a seat and all these things. But, but they actually still saw him as their equal. And they just saw him as just somebody else that was still the same as, same as them. And the Buddha actually said to them, he's, he, uh, um, said to them that, uh, Please listen closely. I will teach you the Dhamma. I will teach you the Satcha Dhamma, the true Dhamma, uh, that will enable you to realize the deathless, to realize Nibbana. And, you know, the, the, the Panchawaki, the five ascetics, they were super skeptical. They're like, no, you gave up, didn't you? Like, you, you, you're not enlightened. How, how can you actually know these things? And the Buddha realized he had to change his tact with them. You can't just go, well, just listen to me. I'm a Buddha now. I'm fully enlightened. Listen to my teachings. He had to change his tact and he actually had to let them know. It was like, have in the, in the, in the five years, five, six years that you, would have been about five years, five or six years that they had attended to him. Had he ever made that claim before that he was the Supreme Buddha? And had he ever made that claim before that he'd realized enlightenment? And they realized, no, he'd never actually said that. And so then they became a lot more receptive to 
actually listening to the Dhamma of the Buddha. And so right there in that deer park in in Banades on that night of the full moon in July, the Buddha taught the five ascetics. He taught them the, what we call the Dhammachaka Pawatana Sutta. And this is the setting of the uh, setting of the wheel of Dharma in motion. And you have to think about the actual significance of that. On that in that forest with just the five monks sitting around him, there were ascetics at the time, just in this very quiet forest. You know, the Buddha gave these teachings, and and that night, the Dhamma actually came into the world. It was at that point that this was the cause for Buddhism to arise. Buddhism wouldn't have arisen without the Buddha actually giving the first teaching. And Buddhism wouldn't have continued on to what it actually is now without that first teaching. If the Buddha had just said this to you know, some normal person, uh, you know, uh, they mightn't have realized the Dhamma and they, uh, Buddhism actually mightn't have spread. So there's something really, really special that the Buddha actually put this wheel of Dhamma in motion. And what did he teach to do that? He taught the most fundamental aspect and the fundamental teaching of Buddhism is the Four Noble Truths. You'll, if you, anybody that reads the, the suttas and, and reads the life of the Buddha and when he was actually teaching so much, this is the thing that he taught over and over and over again. The Buddha stated that all I teach is suffering and the end of suffering. And this is what is encapsulated in the Four Noble Truths. And so the Buddha set the wheel of Dhamma in motion on that night. You know, every, everything of Buddhism that's grown to where it is now came from that point. All the different traditions that we have, how Buddhism spread into many different countries, uh, to many different areas and many different people practicing Buddhism, it all started right there. Right with that point of right actually teaching the Dhamma. You know, obviously the Buddha can arise in a world. A Buddha can arise in the world but not teach. And so you still have a Buddha in the world but you don't have the Dhamma. And this is, this is somebody called a uh, Pacheka Buddha, uh, a solitary Buddha that doesn't teach. Now, this is, you know, this is very great, but they don't actually teach the Dhamma. But the, we're fortunate of the Buddha that we have actually taught the Dhamma. And so now you can think about your own life. You've, you know, you've all come here today because you know, maybe Buddhism has helped you in some way and impacted you in some way. And, if the Buddha hadn't given that first teaching in the deer park at, uh, in Bernardes, this wouldn't your life wouldn't be the what what it is now. The benefits that you've actually got from Buddhism it all started right there, and so we have to think that the Buddha set the wheel of Dhamma in motion at that time, and it's still going still moving, it's still growing, it's still moving throughout the populations, it's still moving to different countries. The Dhamma is still expanding and different ways of understanding it. So the wheel of Dhamma is still moving and it started on that night. But something else really, really important happened on that night. You know, the, you know, as I said, the Buddha was, had arisen in the world already. And with the teachings, with giving the Four Noble Truths, which we will, will, will actually chant so we can actually rec 
uh, reflect on what the Four Noble Truths are. We'll actually go through this together. But something else really special happened on that night as well. So the Buddha was in the world and now the Dhamma's in the world. But something else really phenomenal actually happened is that as the Buddha gave the teachings of the Four Noble Truths, one of the five ascetics was able to understand the Dhamma and to realize the Dhamma. And so this actually showed that what the Buddha was teaching was able to be realized by other people. It wasn't just this, you know, abstract philosophy that, you know, is makes a lot of sense and has good logic and has good reasoning. This is actually a teaching that people could really realize and to radically actually change their life and to realize nibbana. And so on that point the 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 uh, uh his name was Kodanya. Kodanya actually realized the the fruits of stream entry or the first level of enlightenment. He realized it right there. And again, this must have been you know, phenomenal to, for, for both Kodanya to realize, but also for the Buddha as well. Remember, he didn't think that anybody could actually achieve this. And the Buddha was so overjoyed that, um, that, that Kodanya had realized that he, he, he made a, what we, what we call an inspired utterance is Kodanya knows, Kodanya knows, Kodanya has seen. And so at that time in the world as well, the Sangha actually came into the world. And if you remember what the Sangha actually is, the Sangha is the enlightened disciples of the Buddha, those that have practiced the Buddha's teachings and have become enlightened. So the actual internal Sangha arose in the world on that night as well. On top of that, you know, after, uh, after Anyokodanda had actually realized the Dhamma, he asked for the going forth. So he and the going forth means to ask for ordination as a monk. <clears throat> and the Buddha actually gave that to him. He was the first bhikkhu to give ordination to. Uh, he gave him what's called the ehi bhikkhu or basampada, which is the just saying to somebody, uh, come bhikkhu, live the, the, the Dhamma is well taught by me, live the holy life for the complete ending of suffering. That's what the Buddha said to him, and he was a monk after that. So the, also the external Sangha arose in the world on that night. So if you remember when we started this, I said, you know, think about, think about what the three refuges mean to you. The three refuges actually came into being on that night. The Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. That's what arose at that point in time. This thing that we take as one of, as a, as a Buddhist, the thing that we take is this mainstay that can help guide us and this thing that we take for refuge, this is the thing that arose on that night. If the Dhamma and the Sangha didn't arise, we wouldn't have Buddhism, what it, uh, what it actually is now. You know, again, if we just have the Buddha and we don't have the Dhamma and we don't have the Sangha, Buddhism doesn't spread. No other people actually get the benefit of the teachings. And so we actually now have this, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and this arose on a Salaha Puja night. So this is why a Salaha is actually such an important day, is because the triple gem arose in the world on this day. And just quickly, just quickly, another important thing happened with the first what we call the first vasa there as well. The Buddha decided that, you know, there were people now that could realize the Dhamma. 
And so he stayed there, stayed in the deer park. And, you know, in the progressing days, the Buddha gave more teachings to the other four aesthetics. And on the fifth day, he taught something called the Anattalakana Sutta, which was the, the, the discourse on non-self. And on the fifth day, those five aesthetics, they all attained full liberation. They attained the fruits of arahatship. And so now there were six arahants in the world. And this is, again, this is within five days of the Buddha giving the first teaching. Another thing happened at that time. The Buddha realized, well, I can teach this now and people will actually be able to realize it. And actually what happened was on the, it was about the fifth day, uh, this young merchant actually wandered into the deer park. Um, he'd been awake all night. His name was Yasa. He started to realize that, that, uh, living the life of luxury, uh, was not fulfilling and he wandered into the deer park. And the Buddha actually said to Yasa, come and sit down and come and sit down. And this, remember, this is just the five aesthetics were people that were practicing a lot of meditation. Now, so they, it was pretty easy for them to actually realize the Dhamma, but this is, this is basically, a trust fund baby rich kid kind of thing that's just wandered into the deer park. And the Buddha said to him, yeah, sit down, sit down and just, and, and listen. And the Buddha taught what was called the gradual teachings. He taught the benefits of morality, uh, of generosity, benefits of morality, the benefits of the, the, the divine, divine abodes, the, uh, the dangers in sensual pleasures, the, uh, the bliss of renunciation and then he taught again the four noble truths and again this like this rich merchant's son actually realized the dharma as well you know the buddha taught the four noble truths and he'd realized it as well so there was now seven arahants in the world and so uh, the next day uh, yasa's father actually came looking for him again the buddha talked to yasa's father and told him the, the gradual teachings and he became the first lay man disciple of the Buddha. So now you have the Buddha, you have the Dhamma in the world, you have the Sangha, and also you have the first lay man disciple, the uh, Upasok. Um, and so you, the Buddhist community is actually starting to grow from here within five, six days at this time. Uh, Yasa's father invited him to his home, the Buddha to his home the next day and the, and the rest of the Sangha. And he again gave a teaching and Yasa's mother and Yasa's wife, I believe, they actually took refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and they became the first uh, Ubasikas, the first female disciples of the Buddha. So all within a week of a Salaha Puja happening, you know, the whole Buddhist community had arisen in the world and the Buddha was starting to realize that he could teach this. Now Yasa was a pretty popular guy in Banades. He's you know, rich, so he had a lot of had a lot of friends. And so the Buddha realized that if he stayed there and he actually taught these people, you know, more people could realize the Dhamma. And so over the course of the next three about three months, the Buddha stayed in the deer park. And so he spent the very first Vasa in Banades, teaching teaching anybody that would come and listen to him. And by the end of the first Vasa, there were uh, in total 60 Arahants in the world. And these were all friends of Yasa. And so at that time, at the end of the first rains retreat, uh, the Buddha actually said to those 60 Arahants, he didn't say to them, stay here, let's build a monastery. Like, let's just stay in this place and you know, we'll, we'll just be comfortable here. He actually sent them out. 
he said to them, you know, go out in the four directions. Don't any of you go the same way. Go out and preach the Dhamma yeah, that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So he actually, at that, at the end of that first Vasa, actually started to spread Buddhism out into the world. And again, this is the wheel of Dhamma is in motion. And so after that, now, you know, we've looked 2,500 years later, it's still going. There's still monks, nuns, lay, Buddhist laymen, laywomen that are out there teaching the Dhamma. This is still moving out from this time. So we have to, it's, it's very, I think it's very good for us to reflect, you know, where did that come from? Where's that sort of causal point that, you know, for me, you know, the Buddhist teachings and the practice of meditation and these, the, the, the wisdom teachings in, in Buddhism, this has changed my life so much. Like I, my life would probably be like a, a mess if I didn't have this. So this has impacted me profoundly. And I'm sure for most of you, it's actually impacted you profoundly as well. So I think it's very good for us to think on this point of where this actually started. And so that's why today we celebrate uh, Asalaha, Asalaha Puja again, which will be on, which will be on Wednesday. Uh, but we're doing it a little bit before. And what we'll do, what we'll do now, um, is we'll actually chant the Dhamma, the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta. There's a reason I didn't go over it because we'll be actually chanting it together. And so I'll, we'll probably do it in English. It might be a bit easier for everyone to, to understand. It's a bit easier for everyone, everyone to read. Um, and so as, as we're chanting it, you know, don't, uh, don't just sort of like, yeah, yeah, uh, one, you don't have to chant it if you don't want to. That's, that's fine as well. If you just want to read along, that's, that's okay. Um, but if you do decide to chant along and you do think it's a good thing to do, what we, it's, it's nice to actually reflect on what the Buddha was teaching there and why this is so important, why the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path is so important and why actually realizing something like that could be the cause for people to, uh, to, uh, to give up suffering, to realize the deathless Nibbana. So, yeah, I encourage you all to, to, to chant along if you like. And so what we'll, what we'll be doing is we'll be chanting the Anattalakana, uh, sorry, the, the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta, the setting forth of the, uh, the Dhamma, uh, the wheel of Dhamma. And then after that, what we'll do is we'll do the, uh, what, what we've called the Asalaha offering to the Triple Gem. That's where we'll hold the flowers and we'll, we'll uh, uh, pay respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and we'll do the circumambulation. But just for now, at least, we'll, we'll, do, the, we'll do the chanting. Any, again, anybody that wants to chant along, you're more than welcome. Um, it's, it's, one thing, it's one thing for me to sort of talk about the Four Noble Truths, but it's actually something, I think, something deeper if you actually say it for yourselves and go over these things yourself. So we'll chant this together and we'll chant it in, in English. You'll see that there's little arrows there and this is just the tonation. So when it, there's a down arrow, the tone drops. When there's an up arrow, the tone sort of goes up kind of thing. You'll, 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 you'll get it. So we'll start off with, uh, it's, uh, We'll start off with the Namo Tassa first. We'll do we'll do that all together. And I'm a young Bhutan, what's that need? And I'm a young Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa 
Namo tassa bhagavato harahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Because there are these two extremes that should not be pursued by one who has gone forth that is whatever is tied up to sense pleasures within the realm of sensuality which is low common the way of common folks not the way of the noble ones and pointless then there is whatever is tied up with self-deprivation which is painful not the way of the noble ones and pointless because without going to either of these extremes the tathagata has ultimately awakened to a middle way of practice giving rise to vision making for insight leading to calm to heighten knowing awakening and to nibbana and what because is that middle way of practice it is this noble eightfold path which is as follows right view right intention right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness right concentration this bhikkhus is the middle way of practice that the tathagata has ultimately awakened to giving rise to vision making for insight leading to calm to heighten knowing awakening and to nibbana this bhikkhus is the noble truth of dukkha birth is dukkha aging is dukkha and death is dukkha sorrow lamentation pain grief and despair are dukkha association with the disliked is dukkha separation from the liked is dukkha not attaining one's wishes is dukkha in brief the five focuses of identity are dukkha this bhikkhus is the noble truth of the cause of dukkha it is this craving which leads to rebirth accompanied by delight and lust delighting now here now there namely craving for sensuality craving to become craving not to become this bhikkhus is the noble truth of the cessation of dukkha 
It is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that very craving, its relinquishment, letting go, release, without any attachment. This because is the noble truth of the way of practice leading to the cessation of dukkha. It is just this noble eightfold path which is as follows, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, because in regard to things unheard of before, vision arose, insight arose, discernment arose, this is the knowledge arose, light arose, this is the noble truth of Dukkha. Now this noble truth of Dukkha should be completely understood. Now this noble truth of Dukkha has been completely understood. Because in regard to things unheard of before, vision arose, insight arose, discernment arose, knowledge arose, light arose. This is the noble truth of the cause of Dukkha. Now this cause of Dukkha should be abandoned. Now this cause of Dukkha has been abandoned because in regard to things unheard of before, vision arose, insight arose, discernment arose, knowledge arose, light arose. This is the noble truth of the cessation of Dukkha. Now the cessation of Dukkha should be experienced directly. Now the cessation of Dukkha has been experienced directly because in regard to things unheard of before, vision arose, insight arose, discernment arose, knowledge arose, light arose. This is the noble truth of the way of practice leading to the cessation of Dukkha. Now this way of practice leading to the cessation of Dukkha should be developed. Now this way of practice leading to the cessation of Dukkha has been developed as long because as my knowledge and understanding as it actually is of these four noble truths with their three phases and twelve aspects was not entirely pure did i not claim because in this world of devas mara and brahma Amongst mankind, with its priests and renunciants, kings and commoners, an ultimate awakening, 
to unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. But when bhikkhus, my knowledge and understanding, as it actually is, of these four noble truths, with their three phases and twelve aspects, was indeed entirely pure, then indeed did I claim bhikkhus, in this world of devas, mara and brahma, amongst mankind with its priests and renunciants, kings and commoners, an ultimate awakening to unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. Now knowledge and understanding arose in me. My release is unshakable. This is my last birth. There won't be any further becoming. So if we remember that you know the Buddha actually giving that teaching, you know, just actually hearing that teaching is what uh Anyakunanda actually realized as well. He actually understood. And as I said, this teaching is not necessarily just an abstract idea. It's not just this uh, uh, kind of philosophy that we uh, can understand. This is actually something that you can realize and experience. So this is why this teaching is so important. And as such, it is the heart of Buddhism and the Buddha taught it so many times. So this is something we can uh, re uh, reflect on today. So what we'll be doing next is making the uh, uh, the the Asalaha offering to the Triple Gem, where we'll go over, and we can. I think we can recite this together. I'll I'll grab a microphone and I'll lead it. But what we do is we take our flowers in our hand and we can we can stand up and we'll repeat it. And so what. Essentially, I'll just I'll explain a little bit of how we'll do this. We'll stand. We'll do the uh, offering to the triple gem, uh, the salah to the triple gem, and then what we'll do is actually the people just to just to make it a little bit more streamlined and make it a bit easier for everybody. Um, uh, the people that are in the front here, what we'll do is we'll uh, move out to the circumambulation. Anybody sitting on the floor, you can follow me, and we'll walk out this door, and we'll walk around here and we'll meet up in the corner here and anybody that's on a seat you can walk out the back and just meet us uh, meet us there it might sort of streamline it a little bit but the thing i encourage you to do is uh while we're actually doing the circumambulation is for us to really you know as i said we're going to be doing the offering to the triple gem now and we're repeating this and then actually when we're doing the circumambulation, you know, we can use this. This is a this is a way for us to, in some small way, to give our thanks back to the Buddha and give our thanks the, for the, the power of the teaching of the Dhamma and give our thanks back to the Sangha in some kind of way. In some small way, we can make this offering of gratitude to them. So while we're actually we're actually circumambulating we can use this as a time to uh, deeply reflect on how much benefit buddhism has given to you 
We can use this as a, as a time of silent reflection where we're actually making this physical gesture of, of walking around the, or walking around the Buddha three times. And so I encourage you while we're walking around just to stay, to stay silent and to reflect in your own mind. You can either reflect on the, the Four Noble Truths or you can reflect on the Eightfold Path or you can reflect on the goodness of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as we walk around. And then we'll, we'll place our flowers out, out the front of the, the Buddha statue out the front. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do, we'll do this now. And so what we'll do at the moment, maybe I can grab the, the microphone and we'll, we'll stand, we'll stand with our flowers and we'll make this to the Buddha. So I think, so I think we can actually just we'll all repeat this together. Actually, it might be a little bit, little bit easier if we just all teach it, uh, uh, recite it together. So we'll just start with the namo. Handamayang putasapakawato upapakarokarom karoma se namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Homage to the blessed, noble and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble and perfectly enlightened one. All of us take the Buddha as our refuge, and we delight in the Dhamma that he taught. He is an Arahant, fully enlightened by himself and has compassion for all sentient beings. Being moved by compassion, he has set rolling the matchless wheel of the Dhamma. He proclaimed the Four Noble Truths for the first time to the group of five bhikkhus at the deer park near Banades on the full moon of July. After that, he, oh, at that time, while this discourse was being given, the spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma arose in the venerable Anyakonanda. Thus, all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. After that, he asked for the going forth from the Blessed One and became the first person in the world to receive the full acceptance as a bhikkhu disciple. At that time, the Sangha was born and so the three jewels, 
The Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha were established in the world. All of us has now gathered here on this auspicious full moon day of July, it being the day when the Blessed One proclaimed the Dhamma Chakapawatana Sutta, it being the day when the Noble Sangha was born into the world and the Triple Gem was established, so we have gathered here at this time with these offerings and recollecting the virtues of the Lord Buddha. We shall circumambulate the Buddha image three times. Although he passed into Nibbana long ago, the Buddha's guiding influence is still with us today. May our offerings be received and accepted for our long-lasting welfare and for the happiness of all future generations. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So we'll now make our way to circumambulate. If we can get the people that are sitting on the mats at the front to follow me out, and those that are sitting on the chairs, maybe you can go out the back and meet us at the corner here, and we'll meet up there. And again, we'll try to walk around and circumambulate in silence. And then after we've done three circumambulations, then we can uh, put our flowers down and we can make our way over to the Vihara for the, the rice offering, the Pindabhat.